Hello and welcome to the Mind Over Matter podcast. I am your host, Luke McLean. This is the show where I interview experts on all things mental health and well-being, from strategies you can learn like mindfulness, deep breathing, and cold showers, to people with lived experience like myself who have lived with mental illness and or addiction and open up about their pain to share what has helped and hindered them to provide you with motivation and inspiration to live the best life you can. So let's take the power of our minds back and live a healthier and happier life. On today's show, my lovely guest is Jazz Rawlinson. She's a best-selling Australian author, mental health speaker, and book writing mentor. Passionate about empowering survivors of trauma to transform their adversities into powerful memoirs. She often works with domestic violence and child abuse survivors and has featured across outlets such as Authority Magazine, New Zealand Herald, news.com.au and ABC. We sat down to talk about her own personal journey of rising from a suicidal teen victim of family violence to a best-selling author, mental health speaker, mum and wife. We talked about how she thrives as a highly sensitive and anxious person, as well as how she overcame PTSD. Also, how to goal set and self-care despite struggling with anxiety, including the power of gratitude journaling and brain dumping. We also talked about powerful stories of triumph over adversity from her book series, Reasons to Live, which features global influencers like Elfresh the Lion and Kevin Hines, as well as everyday Australians. I really hope you enjoy the show. Have you ever tried to meditate and end up just giving up after a few times trying or even on the first go? Are you someone that doesn't know if you're doing it right, you don't know where to start? Well, I can tell you I was definitely, definitely exactly like that. And that's where Muse helps. Muse is a device widely used by neuroscience researchers around the world. It uses advanced signal processing to interpret your mental activity to help guide you. When your mind is calm and settled, you hear peaceful weather. Busy mind? Well, as your focus drifts, you'll hear stormy weather that cues you to bring your attention back to your breath. Muse connects to your mobile device via Bluetooth, and once connected, simply start the app, put on your headphones, and close your eyes. Once your session is complete, you can review your results and track your progress. Muse does not use electrical stimulation. It's a passive tool that gives you accurate, real-time feedback on what's happening in your brain. And after each session, you'll see how you did through a series of graphs and charts in the Muse Meditation app. Muse will show you how your brain, heart, breath, and body did from moment to moment through simple, easy to understand graphs and charts. To help keep you motivated and improving, Muse also gives you points, goals, challenges, and bonuses to strive for. With every session, you earn points and can adjust your goal to fit your needs. Head to bit.ly forward slash mindovermatter dash muse. That's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash mindovermatter dash muse where you can view their range of products. And for Mind Over Matter listeners, you can receive 75 bucks, that's $75 off, a Muse 2 bundle plus a one-year subscription. Enjoy. Jazz, thanks for joining me on the show. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. It's great to be here. And how are you feeling today? 
I'm doing okay. It's been a bit of a stressful morning so far, if I'm honest, just organising toddler to be out of the house <laughs> with my husband. Not on his own. I didn't send him off to run off. To, he's not quite old enough yet. What's more but, stressful, um, the, the toddler or the husband? <laughs> uh, definitely, well, you know, a bit of both, but usually the toddler. Um, and, yeah, like just to, just to keep things, you know, raw and authentic. I'm having a morning where my anxiety is a bit higher than usual. So I'm just showing up how I am doing my best. But, yeah. Um, yeah. We all have those mornings that are a little bit, uh, you know, don't quite go how we planned. So. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for, for sharing the honesty with that, because it is a topic that we're obviously going to, to talk about today. Um, and it's, it's one of those things that can be overlooked quite um, easily for, for people. And, and, I, and I want to get into a little bit around your story, but can you tell us a little bit about your, your backstory and, and how it inspired, inspired you to create Reasons to Live One More Day Every Day? Yeah, so I grew up on the mid-north coast of New South Wales in this gorgeous little valley that's just um, south of Coffs Harbour. So a lot of listeners may have heard of Coffs Harbour. It's kind of in between Brisbane and Sydney. And in a lot of ways, my childhood was actually quite idyllic. You know, I had my own horse, we had chickens, dogs, we even had cows um, at one stage. And so I was really blessed in the way that I was able to, you know, go explore in the mountains, I could go ride my horse. um, And we didn't really have to worry about a lot of things that, you know, kids worry about today with, you know, safety and and things like that, because we lived in um, such a safe environment. Um, but it's interesting because on the flip side, my home environment wasn't very safe. So on the outside, it looked like everything was great. We lived in this beautiful valley. Um, I went to a really good school, a private school. I had friends and my mum was a school teacher. Everything looked great. <laughs> but I had a dad who was very mentally and emotionally violent um, towards me and um, sometimes physically abusive to my mum as well. So those were the tough things that I sort of had to deal with from a young age. And From what age did that begin? Yeah, I'd say I was 10 when I first realised, or when I first really began sinking into depression. But of course, I didn't know that it was called depression back then um, because, you know, you couldn't turn on the TV and see a campaign about, lifeline or mental health you couldn't turn on the tv um, or listen to the radio and hear about where to go or what to do if you're experiencing family violence i didn't actually even know that that's what it was called but i do know that i felt that overwhelming sadness and um, despair really from the age of 10 because i think that's when dad sort of began to spiral down and things started to yeah go go very south what was, I mean, as a 10 year old, how do you even process that? Like, were you, I assume you weren't, were you talking to people that you were friends with in school and were you talking to anyone about what was going on? No, I didn't, I didn't tell anyone. Um, Writing was really my only outlet. So I used to lie on my bed and journal a lot and just try and 
transfer everything in my head out onto paper. I used to write short stories. Like most girls, I was horse obsessed back then. So I used to write stories about, you know, silver brumbies and stuff like that. Um, And of course I had my horse, so I'd go horse riding and those were sort of my outlets. It's interesting now, you know, being a writing coach and an author and looking back and seeing where my love of literature and um, writing really came from. But yeah, I didn't, I didn't tell anyone until I was 15. And I think I, or maybe even 16, I told my best friend and my boyfriend at the time, but that's, that's a huge gap, you know, six years or so before I told anyone. So. Yeah, absolutely. I can imagine it must've been really difficult. Like, do you remember what the hardest thing was at, during that period? Um, in hindsight, I think probably not having anyone to talk to other than my mum was really hard because I did feel so alone. Um, and then obviously, you know, anyone who's grown up with family violence or has survived domestic violence would understand how um, horrific it really is walking on eggshells every day. Um, you know, I remember one day hiding in my wardrobe and I think I was probably 15 <laughs> at that point and I was just sitting in there listening, kind of waiting for the footsteps and waiting. I, I was waiting for like the crunch of the tyres on the gravel outside because I knew that that was um, when I had to prepare mentally that dad was going to walk through the door and then I would listen for what the footsteps were like. And I would do that every day. I would listen for what his footsteps were like in the morning or in the afternoon when he got home. And I would really use that to decipher what kind of mood he was going to be in. But of course, when you live with someone that is volatile or abusive, you can't actually ever predict how they're going to be. And I think that's the hardest part because it messes with you so badly and it creates so much anxiety because you have no idea what to expect from one day to the next. And there's no, you know, you can try to control it. And my mum certainly did. She really tried her hardest to keep him as calm as possible in those moments. But there's only so much that you can really do. Yeah. Like I was just thinking that, I mean, you know, the name of this show mind over matter. And, you know, a lot of the way that I've lived is, is being able to understand, you know, I can control what I can control, but when you're a, you know, a child who's in a position where, you know, these, these horrific things are happening when you can't control that. Plus you're at a, you're at a young age where your brain probably isn't even processing what's going on. I can, can only imagine how difficult that, that must be. You mentioned um, writing. Was that the main thing? And was there other things that, that helped during that time? Yeah, that was the main thing. I, from memory, I think that was the only thing I had um, until I started to very slowly talk to those two people, my boyfriend at the time and my best friend when I was 16. Um, Yeah, there really, I don't think there was anything else. There was never any counsellors that we saw. I know my mum had people that she could talk to, a couple of people, you know, within, excuse me, within our church. Um, And she may have had some close friends that she told, but for the most part, she didn't really talk about it much either. Um, In fact, when, when I released my first book in 2017, 
there are a lot of people in her community who read that and said, Oh wow, Robin, I had no idea that, um, you guys went through that. I didn't even know you just, you just showed up to work every day. You always had a smile on your face. You're always in control of, seemed like you're in control of everything. So yeah, we, we just didn't have anyone to talk to for a long time. How much of a, an impact has it had on your life, I guess, since that period? Um, well, anxiety is something that I still live with. I am very blessed that it's not an everyday thing. It's usually situational. Um, so, you know, for example, last night I didn't sleep very well, so my anxiety is higher today. Um, but for the most part, I'm actually pretty good. You know, I did have a really rough probably decade from age 10 to age 20 and then age 20 to 23 or, or 25 was difficult in different ways. Um, but I am, yeah, I am pretty lucky that I don't really live with a lot of lasting impacts. I actually can't, I actually can't even remember my dad's voice. It's sometimes it's hard for me to even remember things that he said. Like there's a couple of things that have really stuck with me, but yeah, I, I am lucky that in, I don't know how, but a lot of, um, you know, a lot of survivors have a lot of trouble getting rid of those voices in their heads or forgetting a lot of the things that they saw. And for me, I can barely even remember anything from my dad's funeral. And I don't know whether that's a protective, you know, it could be a protective step that my brain took and just kind of blanked that all out. Um, but it has certainly, I have certainly had to work very hard at different things in terms of relationships with learning how to go into healthy relationships, how to set boundaries. Um, and even today, there's a couple of, you know, very small sort of triggers that I have within, you know, within my marriage that my husband is aware of, you know, from my, my childhood and he knows, um, yeah, like how to, yeah, just how to be a loving partner so that those things don't come up for me again. So, and I, I'd yeah. imagine it's a big part of, and I don't know, I could be speaking, speaking out and speaking incorrectly here, but I'd imagine there's a part where it's you needing to learn how to, to love yourself because you're probably feeling, I assume at that young age that, well, I'm not being loved. Otherwise this wouldn't be happening. Like, is there a lot of self worth and, and self love that was required in order to, to be able to love someone else? Yeah, that's a good question because for a long time I didn't have any self, uh, any, any, you know, some semblance of self worth self-value like of course I was always a valuable person and I think it's hard for people to make that distinction that even when you don't feel that you love yourself or you don't feel that you're worthy of, of love or anything you're still always worthy of love and respect and you you still have inherent value as a human being but you don't necessarily feel that and for me um, the relationships that I went into after my dad's death so he took his life when I was 18 um the relationships that I went into after that were extremely unhealthy none of them were physically abusive I never none of those men ever pushed me around or anything like that which is also why I didn't think that they were abusive I sort of didn't recognize that the 
um, emotional or mental abuse <laughs> was um, actually abusive. And yeah, so it took me a long time to learn how to set boundaries and see myself as worthy of being respected. It was a really long journey to find that and to, to yeah, just feel that I was good enough as a, as a human being. Yeah. I think there's so much power in, in what you're doing and, and even just what you just said then. I mean, it can't be easy reliving. It can't be easy, you know, having to, to go back and, and talk about certain situations and, um, you know, and bring it up. So, you know, I, I thank you for being able to, to do so and, and I'm sure it gives a lot of people um, a lot of inspiration um, that they can do the same which I want to get to a little bit around that in, in just a bit, but coming back to um, coming back to your, your book, what are some of your favorite stories from the book and, and which of those stories or people have inspired you the most? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, it's always so hard to answer because <laughs> everyone I work with, whether they're, you know, well-known, you know, I've, I've worked with people like Elfresh the Lion, who's, you know, globally, renowned musician and um interviewed people like kevin hines and then i've worked with everyday people um you know men and women from small aboriginal communities things like that so um yeah i think one story that really sticks with me is i'll give you one from each book so i've got two volumes so from from the first book I think the story that always sticks with me the most is that of a woman called Sonia Anderson. She's quite well known here in Brisbane as a domestic violence advocate. And she's had a lot to do with changing a lot of, um, a lot of laws and regulations here um, to make, you know, the world a safer place for women. But she actually lost her daughter, Bianca, to domestic homicide back in 2010. So, you know, like, to lose a child is horrific enough, but as she explains, when a child or a loved one is murdered, there you just don't have that same level of closure that you have if somebody passes away naturally or however it may happen. And she said, you know, when it's murder, it's not the end of the grief or the, the end of the chapter. It's it's a whole new, you know, you're opening the door to a whole new journey and a whole new level of um, grief. And so, yeah, she had, you know, as you can imagine, some really horrific experiences that she had to work through and, you know, wanting, wanting to take her own life because she just couldn't see a life without her daughter. Um, but she talks about how she found her way out of that dark place and how she channeled all of that grief and that anger and the loss to, really honor her daughter and um there's a part in her story that's really beautiful and and kind of quite you know quite humorous where she says oh you know I, i was having a bad day one day and i just wanted to give up on everything and she's like i heard my daughter say to me um what the hell are you doing mom like you've worked so hard to to honor me and what you just get to give up now you know <laughs> and she's like what, you know, what, what does, what does that even mean? And she's like, I could just imagine myself getting to, you know, getting to heaven and, and seeing my daughter and she'd just be like, what the hell? Like you were supposed (laughs) to, you were supposed to carry on my legacy. Um, so yeah, she, she talks about finding joy again. And that's a really big thing. You know, she says for a long time, happiness, it really just 
does feel like a facade and you really are just pasting on that smile and trying to get on with life. But eventually you do feel those moments of joy again and you do feel happiness. And most importantly, it's okay to let yourself feel happy. It's okay to simultaneously feel that grief and, and still, you know, miss your child every day, but to still enjoy life and do things that your child would be proud to see you doing. And, and the second, um, and in the second book, I think probably one of the stories that sticks with me the most is um, a woman named Prema and she experienced really horrific child sexual abuse um, basically from the time that she was an infant until she was 15 years old. I just can't even fathom that. Like how does that even happen? Well, I've heard these stories from so many people and even still when she told me, I was just, I was just shocked. It just absolutely rattled me. But more than that, to see how she has rebuilt her life and again, that she allows herself to feel those dark days, you know, and she says, I I sit with my depression and I listen to those voices with compassion and I don't try to tell myself that I need to just get over it and, um, you know, be happy. And she's like, but at the same time, I do have so much joy and happiness in my life and I find gratitude and, and beauty in everything. And she is the most, um, beautiful, one of the most beautiful and peaceful souls you, you'll ever meet. She just is so grateful um, for everything and she just finds beauty in, in everything and it just astounds me how she's managed to create a life of, of purpose and happiness after going through so much. And I think that's really important for, I think those two stories are really important to me and, and to a lot of people who've read them because they show that you can go through two things that are probably considered the most horrific things to ever experience and you can still come out you can still make it out the other side um and still find reasons to live yeah i think that's a yeah it's incredible and it's amazing that you you're being able to showcase i guess those stories but the power um of those individuals to be able to to fight through and and to continue to to live and I think the other point there as well is uh, I think everyone, I mean, everyone has a story. It's just not everyone has the ability in knowing how to share that or how to use mm. that to, to help other people. I think it's very important for, for, for listeners to be able to understand that we all have our pain. We all have our, you know, our trauma. We all have our issues. And, you know, we've, we've mentioned or you've mentioned there some, some pretty horrific stories and you know rightfully so there's going to be some pain and and trauma attached to that but it's not to say that you know what you're experiencing in in your life now isn't um you know isn't something that can really affect you and i think being able to understand but also showcase people that have experienced um this this amount of trauma that can get through that i think that shows that you know, we can get through anything and we can find reasons to, to live um, and, and to live happily and live well, um, but also to be able to sit with, um, I guess, the negative associated those things, those feelings such mm. as the depression and, and things like that. I mean, is that something you find that you're 
you know, you, you mentioned it before, right at the start of this episode where, you know, you're off this morning and your anxiety was there. Is it stuff that, is it now that you find that you've got to catch your feelings and, and, and your thoughts so that you don't let it spiral? Is it, is it like that? Are you, are you becoming aware of how you feel a lot more? Um, how does it work day to day with you now? Yeah, I do find that generally I'm pretty self-aware of how I'm feeling. Um, sometimes there are things that catch me and it might be a week until I kind of notice. So for example, um, I was saying to my husband last night, I was like, oh, I've been, because I, I have polycystic ovarian syndrome and various other things that can cause me um, physical pain at different, you know, different days and weeks. And um, I also tend to get a lot of abdominal pain when I'm stressed. Um that's you know part of the anxiety and part of a couple of different things that I've got. And um, I said to him, I don't know why I'm getting all this pain. Like I've been, like I was waking up with pain last night and it's been happening since about Friday. And I said, everything I'm eating is triggering pain at the moment. And, um, you know, I, I do eat pretty strictly because I, I am quite sensitive to a lot of foods, but I said, all my safe foods are triggering me and I can't work out why. And then I went, oh my gosh, I was really stressed a week ago to the point where I was experiencing anxiety and panic that I haven't experienced in a long time. And um, I was like, oh my gosh, that's probably why it's all catching up with me now um, because I know that that's what happens when I get stressed is that um, – my digestion and my gut health all kind of goes to pieces and my gut stops digesting stuff properly and I'm in pain and my anxiety is higher. So yeah, sometimes those things do sneak up on me, but generally I'm pretty self-aware. And as you were saying, um, yeah, I just, I just kind of try to honor those feelings. I mean, there've been times where I've um, been experiencing panic attacks and in those situations, I, usually do try to get on top of it straight away by kind of acknowledging, all right, this is how I'm feeling. But at the same time, I know that I'm safe. I know that logically this isn't a big deal. Um, yes, my body is responding in this way, but I know that everything's going to be okay and everything is okay and I'm safe. This is just, I've just got to try and um, get on top of this and I'll usually use some different techniques to try and distract myself or focus on something else. Um, but those are very rare occurrences for me. So yeah, most of the time I'm pretty aware of what's going on and I'll just be like, okay, I'm a bit more anxious today and I, I need to spend some more time doing extra gratitude journaling today or, some, or something like that to help get everything out of my head. Yeah. So you've got tools there to be able to, to utilize when you're aware of it, what happens if you aren't aware of it and you, and those those feelings or you know start to get stronger? Um, what happens in those instances for you? For me, um, I generally am aware of them. Like I said, it's it's usually if something um, you know like the stress. I, I I tend to recognize my anxiety and I tend to recognize when something is causing me to feel quite low. Um, but for me, I think because I came from a background where I was anxious and stressed every day, I tend to um, internalize my anxiety a lot. So sometimes I don't 
recognize that I am a, maybe it's that I don't recognize that I'm as stressed as I actually am. So I'll think oh, I'm, I'm a bit stressed, but it's not that bad until my body starts giving off warning signs um, or I'm coming down with a flu or something like, or a cold or something like that. And then I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, actually I was actually probably way more stressed recently than I acknowledged. And that's when, you know, you kind of got to go into the damage control a little bit, but it can be tough. Um, Self-awareness is, you know, it's, it's a forever journey. You know, it's something just like mental health that we're, we have to work on all the time and learn to get better at it. And I'm certainly not perfect at it. And, and I think probably anyone that says they are isn't. Yes, no. <laughs> it's part of being human, you know. Like, are you, like, how do you find it? Do you find that you're usually pretty self-aware? Normally. Yeah, up? normally I am. Um, I mean, I do some pretty crazy things to, for self-care and for my own well-being. But um, You do ice baths and stuff like that. I do you? love an ice bath. Um, I do love an ice bath. But, I mean, that's one of the things that, you know, I do, I do all of these things. But when I notice that I'm then starting to fall off from consistency, um, I do notice, um, you know, my sleeping pattern will start to go, um, that I'll start to be a little bit more snappier in situations because I'm, you know, just letting things build up. So I, I become aware normally pretty early, but sometimes I don't, but then, um, it's really just being able to, because for me, if I'm feeling super anxious, I'm not going to, Oh, I'm just going to go jump in the ice bath. So it's about obviously having a tool of, uh, or toolkit, um, that you can go to. Um, and in that instance, it might be getting out and just going for a walk or taking the dog or whatever it may be. But what are some of the other uh, self-care strategies that, that you've got? You've mentioned, uh, you've mentioned your gratitude journaling, um, which has helped your well-being. What are some others that you, um, that you utilize? Well, prior to all of the self-isolation stuff, mm, <laughs> I would make yeah. sure that I was going to the gym, you know, a couple of times a week. And um, that's been really hard. That's probably been one of the hardest things for me during this, this last couple of months is um, not having that routine of being able to go to the gym and, you know, my, my child gets to play with some other kids in the crèche during that time um, and I, you know, I get to have some time to myself. So I haven't had that. And um, I'm, I'm probably like one of the unluckiest people when it comes to exercise. Like I just hurt myself so easily. <laughs> And I was in a really good routine at the gym and knew what I could do and what was good for me. But I can't do any of those things from here because they were sort of weight-based machines yeah. and things like that. So basically at the beginning of self-isolation, I injured myself <laughs> and I'm just coming out of it now, so about six weeks later. So it means that I really haven't been able to do much other than some Pilates and a bit of walking. Um, so I have been struggling a bit, but I do find that getting out to go for a walk is helpful, even if it's, you know, just especially at the moment, like just being able to get out of the house and be in nature has been really helpful. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the main things for me have always been um, the journaling, gratitude, writing, um, and you know, when we can seeing friends, it's like very helpful for me just being able to talk it out. So. 
I know it's very difficult at the moment. I mean, obviously, with a lot of isolation and depending on where you are in the world, I mean, you know, lockdown's been in force for, for quite some time in some countries. You know, we talk about how important movement and exercise is. For, for some people, it's, it's taking that away and it's now out of their control, which we spoke about at the start. Um, so I guess it is being able to find different ways that can, can stimulate, whether it's that recovery or, or whatever it is. But, you know, you mentioned gratitude there. I feel like some of the times when we talk about, particularly when I talk about gratitude, when I talk about walking or we talk about, you know, gut health, nutrition, all that type of stuff, it can be simple things, but for some reason people don't understand the benefits of it. I mean, what yeah, are the, exactly. if we're talking about just gratitude journaling in itself, like how do you, how do you do it? Um, look, personally, how do you do it? And then what are the benefits that you have noticed specifically from gratitude yeah. journaling? Yeah. So like you, like you were saying just before, um, sometimes I fall off the, you know, fall off the bandwagon a bit with things that have been helping me. Cause I'm like, oh, I'm all good now, you know? Yeah. Um, but I have noticed during the last two months that I have been relying a lot more on gratitude journaling than I have in the past. Um, I think because prior to the self-isolation stuff, I was like, I had all my routines and I was like, oh, I'm good. But I've noticed for me that gratitude journaling has been such a powerful way to reduce anxiety, to reduce stress, for better sleep. So, for example, over the last couple of months, I've found that when I go to bed, I just can't switch off. And even if I think that I'm pretty relaxed, I'll find that I'm just lying there and I can't actually go to sleep. So what I do is literally just pull my gratitude journal out from, you know, under my pillow. I've got my phone light. You know, it doesn't have to be, you don't have to go sit up at a beautiful desk with your greenery all behind you, you know. Like I literally just get my phone light out and I just write down a couple of like at least five things that I'm really grateful for. And then I'll list anything that's stressing me out. Um, so I, I, and I keep it, you know, simple. So I've got external things that I'm grateful for. Like I'm really grateful that I have um, a house, you know, and a roof over my head and that we're not losing our house at the moment. Like some people are really grateful that my husband still has work and I still have some work at the moment, really grateful for um, food, you know, like all those really basic things. And then I've got, <clears throat> excuse me, other things like I'm really grateful for this particular person in my life. I'm really grateful that I get to impact on people's lives, you know, as a, as a writing mentor and a mental health speaker I'm grateful for the opportunities coming my way. So I do a bit of future focused stuff as well. Um, and I try to also take a moment in the morning to think about that. You know, I'm grateful, um, grateful for the opportunities that are coming to me today, or I'm grateful for the opportunities that I will have today to help somebody or impact someone on a positive level. Um, so those are a couple of things that I do. And I find that as soon as I do that, and as soon as I write down anything that's stressing me out, I usually just fall asleep straight away. Um, so they're very simple things. You don't have to sit up for half an hour to do it. I might do it for five minutes yeah. at the most. And for me, that's really powerful. Yeah. Well, I remember when I, cause I, I feel that I was an extremely ungrateful person and, and as an mm -hmm. addict, I feel that, 
you know, everything is just about you. And a lot of the time, every moment is just how can I, you know, how can I survive and how can I get out of this? And it's not really thinking about other people or things that I have in my life. When I started to learn actually or look into gratitude and it was from a moment where I was extremely, you know, I just thought, wow, I've got so much in my life and I've got so much that I can be thankful for. But when I actually started to learn about the science behind it, I started to learn that there's, you know, chemical the chemicals that are released when we practice gratitude that are the same as taking an antidepressant. And I started to look into that and think, well, how does that work? And I still don't really understand it. But when you literally think about things that you're grateful for and you look for things mm. and you just start finding more and more. I don't know if you found that, but I just found that, yeah, it started off where I would be like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm grateful for the, the roof over my head. But then I start to be, to be grateful for, oh, I'm grateful that I'm not sweating today because it would make me <laughs> uncomfortable. Just stupid little things. But you just yeah. start finding so much more positives, I think. And, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things. It sounds basic. It may sound stupid, but it's just the way that we're brought up to, to not really practice mm-hmm. it that makes it something that is, is so weird and whatever. Well, I was going to say like what you were saying before about it feels so basic and, you know, not really sure how it works. Like it does, I was talking to a friend the other day and I said, it does feel like this magic thing, you know, don't know how it works, but, you know, studies have actually backed up the the science and the power of gratitude writing and journaling. Um, so there was a study that was done in 2016 and um, I think it was like Greater Good Berkeley that did it. I've seen and this one, yes. Yeah, yeah and, and so for a period of um, time, I think it was six weeks, they got people to write gratitude letters. And, um, yeah, so it was like choosing a person to write a letter about how they were grateful for the, that person in their life and the impact they'd had on them. And then they got a sample of those people to actually send the letters to the person of their choice. Um, but a lot of people didn't. It was only something like around 23% of people that actually sent the letter. Yeah. But they found that even three months later, those people were still experiencing higher levels of happiness and gratitude like three months post letter writing, regardless of whether they'd sent it or not. Um, And, you know, they talked about the parts, the part of the brain um, that's responsible for, you know, learning and decision-making and how that was activated by the, the practice of gratitude writing. So it really is incredibly powerful even though it sounds super basic. Yeah, it's just a it's just a skill that we've never really thought too much about but can mm-hmm. certainly understand the the power of it. Um what other self-care strategies would you say at this point? I mean, it it, it is difficult and I sort of wanted to touch on the point as well that there's um you know there's reports coming out about the the increase in domestic violence during you know isolation and, and COVID, um, and obviously that's a, a topic that you're extremely you know um, passionate about changing. Um, what other uh, you know, particularly for families, you know, you're a you're a mother, you're a um, a wife. Things can when people are around all the time, they can get on our nerves, and you know arguments can can start over the smallest little things. And what are what are some ways that particularly during this period that we can be a bit kinder, and you know whether that's to ourselves or, or others, 
what are some things that you would recommend um, for, for people listening? Well, I think first of all, for people who maybe might be aware that they have a loved one or a friend who <clears throat> is in a, a relationship that's not that healthy or positive, it's really important to remember to check in on them during this time um, and you know, be aware that they may not really divulge what's truly going on. But just remembering to check on the people in our lives that we love and that we're close to. Um, and it, it can be hard at the moment because a lot of us are quite focused on what's going on in our own lives and that's completely understandable. But it's really important to remember to check in on, yeah, the, the people that we love and just see how they're going so that hopefully if there is something going on in their, their world that is really not okay, whether it's um, mental health issues, whether it's domestic violence, that they feel comfortable um, sharing with, with someone like you or that they feel a little bit more uh, inclined to seek support and also to understand that what they're going through isn't, isn't okay. Like, especially for domestic violence, as I, you know, shared about myself, it took me a long time to understand that um, domestic violence isn't, isn't just physical, you know, it's can be sexual, financial, emotional, spiritual, mental um and a lot of people sadly like that that sounds very very basic but sadly a, a lot of people still don't recognize those other uh parts of domestic violence so for yeah in terms of p checking on your loved ones it's very important to do that at the moment and also to remember that you don't always have to fix everything um, sometimes or quite often you just need to sit and listen. The other person just needs to know that someone's there. Um, and for those out there who are maybe in a, a violent relationship or they're going through um, a relationship breakdown or maybe they've lost their job or they're experiencing mental, you know, mental illness or suicidal thoughts, it's really important you know, if, if there's anyone out there listening right now, it's so important for you to know, firstly, that you're not alone, that so many other people um, have felt this way or are currently feeling this way and that there are so many people that want to be there for you. And whether it is a close friend or your GP or a counsellor or your doctor or someone that you met online that you've become friends with, Whoever you choose to reach out to, it, it's just important that you choose someone that you know that you can trust. Um, sometimes reaching out to um, a, a close friend is the best first step um, if you're not ready to, you know, call a support line or you're not ready to see a psychologist just yet. But the other great thing about this time is that it's, it's kind of becoming um, easier in some ways to access support. You know, you don't even have to leave, you know, like sometimes just leaving the house to go to a psych appointment can be really difficult um, to you motivate yourself to do that. So being, I think for people to know right now that they can access, you know, those um, phone or video conferencing calls with their doctors or with their psychologists is really helpful. But yeah, it's just really important, you know, for anyone that's listening to know that um, there's lots of people that care about you and 
that you do deserve to be here and and even when it feels like there are no reasons to live there there definitely are and you know that's something that i've just learned time and time again with all the people that i work with is that um when we feel that we're at our rock bottom um you know it's very easy to give up but there there is a light somewhere above us there is that light at the end of the tunnel um and we just have to take it one day at a time until we we get you know closer to coming out the other end very well said jazz um for for people that are in that position is it i mean because i can i can only imagine that it does seem like you have to try and fix everything in one go Mm -hmm. like i I mean I, i just take someone that might be being physically abused for example you know, just the fear of leaving, the fear of mm-hmm. being hurt more, um, compile that with where am I going to go? Um, how am I going to, you know, not mm-hmm. cop abuse anymore? And it, I imagine that just keeps got the list keeps going and going and going. So yeah. how, like, what is that first step? Is it, is it just confiding in someone and saying, Hey, yeah. I, I just need to talk to you. And then on the yeah, flip side of that, find someone having being the person that you may notice these types of things are going on, or you may know that a friend or a loved one is in a vulnerable situation, being able to just say, Hey, I'm here to support, you know, no judgment. Um, Is it, I mean, yeah, I don't even know what to say because I can just imagine it would be such a difficult position to be in that there is, to me, it seems like there's no, right answer sometimes no you're right and I mean that's what stopped my mum from getting out for so long is that you're just bombarded with all these like every time you you think about leaving or you feel maybe strong enough to leave you're just faced with all of these you know ridiculously hard um, situations and things that you've got to think about like all these realities of how am I going to feed myself or my kids? Where am I going to live? Like that was a big thing for my mom. Like where am I going to go with two kids? Um, how am I going to work my job if I'm living out of a car? It, you know, so what you said before was perfect. You know, for the person who is in that that volatile and toxic situation, the first step is to confide in someone. Like I said before, if I mean, if you are in danger, you do need to call triple zero. There's no doubt about that. Um, you do need to to reach out to, um, you know, someone like one eight hundred respect or your local um, domestic violence support service. There's places like Women's Legal Service, which are in different parts of Australia. We've got Women's Legal Service Queensland, but um, you know they are in different states and they they provide free legal advice. So there are a lot of avenues out there. But the very first step is to confide in someone because it just helps you to feel that little bit less alone. And in my case, you know, it helped me to feel that maybe there was someone that was on my side and gave me a little bit more confidence to then over time begin to talk to other people. Um, And I'm sure it was probably the same for my mom as well. But yeah, you, you've got to you've got to find someone because just easing that mental burden a little bit and knowing that you're not alone 
is actually very powerful and that person may be able to help you reach out to the right people who can help you begin to um, start making a, um, making a, a safe exit plan. You know, for most, and speaking just generally about women, it usually takes an average of seven times, uh, sorry, seven attempts to leave um, for a woman to get out. So what you were saying before about listening to a loved one without judgment, it's really hard to do because all you want is for that loved one to get out of that relationship. And I've done that too. Like I've looked at friends and been like, oh, just just leave, you know, like stop, yeah. you know, in my head. I'm like, why? Like why do you keep coming back? Even though I understand why, you know, victims and survivors keep going back. I mean, I did it myself with a unhealthy relationship in my early 20s. I went back and, you know, that that ended in a sexual assault. It ended very badly. So, yeah, you've it's you've got to learn how to listen without judgment. You know, you may be judging in your head, but you've got to you've got to learn what to say and when to say it, and just try to be there for that person and direct them towards support um, where you can and when you can. That's really that's really all you can do in those situations. So, yeah, I appreciate that. Now you have a very very cool offer for the mind over matter listeners, which I am very excited about, I would say, because, you know, I'm extremely passionate about lived experience. It plays a vital role in, in I guess, all aspects of, of mental health, education, recovery. It's such a vital part. I mean, you've got your clinical, you've got your practitioner perspectives, you've got, you know, therapy, you've got self-care you've got things like that but the lived experience storytelling i think is extremely valuable can you tell us a little bit about your lived experience writing uh, mentorships and then we do have a pretty cool offer to put forward to the listeners as well yeah thank you yeah so i'm really passionate as well about lived experience storytelling i think it's it's so important and it's the missing key in you know so many situations to actually helping people to live healthier lives and more um with more you know higher mental well-being and you're right like we hear about the clinical side of things and that's so important but um so many people you know with lived experience often feel that they're not understood by you know the clinical uh you know um from from the clinical side of things and so yeah in my work you know i often help people to write their own books and and write their own memoirs but every you know every week or every month i come across people that just have the most incredible stories and for a lot of them they may not be in the position to write a full book and may not have the the time or they may not have the courage yet to write a, a whole book they may not have the money to um publish and market a book so a couple of years ago when i when i started working on my first um volume of reasons to live I started these um, mentorships where I help people with a lived experience who, and and I must note, this is for people who um, have come through their adversities to a point where they are, you know, thriving in life or they're definitely living with a sense of purpose and a sense of happiness. So for those people that do have a story of triumph over adversity to share, I run these little mentorships, which is my right to inspire mentorships. Mm -hmm. 
And what we do is uh, we sit down together and I help that person to write their story in about 3000 words. And then at the end of, and at the moment I've been doing this every two years, I'll sit down and I'll take 10 of the the best uh, or the most diverse range of stories. And I compile them into um, the reasons to live one more day, every day book series. Um, So it looks like this just for anyone that wants to see what the book looks like. And in the book, each person has a photograph of um, themselves with a little breakout quote, and then they have um, their story. So if you can see, um, you know, they get to share their story and there's resources, mental health resources and interviews in there as well. But um, yeah, I just find it so incredible listening to people's stories. And I think it's so important to get those stories out there. Um, and at the moment, I'm working on the final volume of Reasons to Live. So it'll be the third and final volume. Um, after this, I don't think I'll be doing any more because it's, it's a lot of work. Um, it really, it's a labor of love, but it, it is a lot of work as well. Um, so what we do is, yeah, I, I work with these people one-on-one. Um, so it's a personalized mentorship where, yeah, I help them to write their story in 3,000 words. I professionally edit it for them. For some people, if they want me to ghostwrite it, um, that's an option too. Um, so I've got, yeah, different different offers for people, different packages, whether they just want the mentorship with the editing or the ghostwriting. And then, yeah, the big bonus is that I market and publish it for them for free. So if there's someone out there that has a story that they know could inspire and help people and they really feel it on their heart to use their personal story and everything they've been through to help someone else on their journey, or even if they are, you know, say an aspiring speaker or they're an entrepreneur and they want, you know, to have a book that they can sell at events or that they can market um, their story to, that's another thing that we do as well. So it's all about getting stories of hope and stories that change lives out into the world. Um, and you've very kindly allowed me to offer um, Mind Over Matter listeners a $100 discount. Woo-hoo. So, <laughs> yeah, you. so if anybody... Um, is interested in working with me to write their story and have it published, marketed for free to all my contacts around the world. Um, I think you're, I think. Luke, I'll drop the, yeah, I'll drop the, the link in the show notes so anyone can, can access that. Um, yeah. So thank you very much for that. And yes, I definitely um, can appreciate the, the value in, in being able to, to get your story down into that. I mean, for me personally, it was like, initially it was blah, 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 blah. Here's my story. And it was like, doesn't make any sense. And then having to condense that down into like a keynote. um, I think for anyone that, yeah, that obviously wants to, to be able to utilize their own story to, to help others, to help their own therapy in a sense. um, it, It definitely helps. But, but knowing that, what you've experienced um, is going to be able to help inspire someone else is I think just an incredible thing. Um, so yeah. thank you for the work that you do. Thank you for your offer. Um, and um, yeah, I hope that we can, we can help some people there. And that just about wraps it up. So I thank you very much jazz for, for taking the time for, for being so open, um, vulnerable and, and sharing a lot of your truths there. And yeah, as I, as I said, please just keep doing what you're doing. Um, you're an inspiration and, um, you're going to help so many people, um, get through tough times, but also, um, live their best lives. So thank you once again. 
Oh, thank you so much. It's yeah, real honor to be on on this great podcast, and um, I love the work that you're doing as well. So it's always great to connect with other like-minded people and share our stories because that's what it's all about. It is. Thanks, Jazz. Thank you. A really massive thanks to Jazz for jumping on, and I know how hard it can be to you know to re live a lot of experiences in your life particularly when they are so traumatic so it takes a lot of guts it takes a lot of courage and it's a huge inspiration and as we spoke about during the show during the interview lived experience is extremely powerful if you're struggling with something and you haven't spoken to anyone or you know you've gone back through times where you felt better and and you are struggling again it's okay to reach out remember what works for you remember what you you know you have done in the past that has helped and also has hindered and try and stay away from the stuff that hinders and try and stick to the stuff that does help if things get bad you know reach out to loved ones reach out to people that you know won't judge that will support and on the flip side you know if you've got someone that you know is going through a difficult time be there to support them keep checking in and keep being that support that you so desperately can be and on that note, guys, thanks so much for joining into the sh- joining in on today's episode. You know, if you if you're enjoying the show, we appreciate any feedback. Um, you know, if you if you haven't liked and, and rated the the show, please do so. Um, we love hearing the feedback and knowing that you guys are enjoying the content that we deliver. Until next week, stay safe, stay healthy, look after yourself, guys. We'll see you on next week's show.